Alleluia. Christ is risen. Good. We're getting better. All right. There's something about today's service that's not quite right. Usually we would have Confirmation Sunday on Pentecost when we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit. We would wear red vestments, use red pyramids, sing hymns about the gift of the Holy Spirit. But because Pentecost falls so late this year, we bumped Confirmation Sunday up into May. After all, Confirmation Sunday was made for humankind, not humankind for Confirmation Sunday. And this is fine, except that it means that while we are wearing our best Easter whites, you confirmands are wearing your Holy Spirit reds today. So in solidarity with you, that's better. So one of the readings we heard today is a Holy Spirit story, though, and that is the story of St. Paul on the road to Damascus. So what does this story tell us about what it means to be a follower of Jesus? At least three big things to know. And this is mostly for Paige, Elizabeth, and Andrew, but if the rest of you want to hang out, that's fine too. So number one, value your experience. The earliest writings that we have from the New Testament come from St. Paul. They were written just a few decades after Jesus' death and resurrection. To say that Paul was an unlikely apostle is a bit of an understatement. This is not someone who was ambivalent about Jesus or saw people worshiping Jesus and thought, well, you do you. This is someone who persecuted followers of Jesus. And occasionally in his writings, Paul will mention some experience that he had with the risen Christ. He never goes into great detail about it. He never recounts exactly what happened, but it's always there in his mind. When St. Luke wrote the book of Acts decades later, he made it a bit more cinematic. We don't know exactly what happened, but we do know that the thing that animated Paul's mission was not an idea, it was not a doctrine, it was not a book, it was an experience. It was Paul reflecting on something that God did in his life and trying to make sense out of it. So people will try to tell you that your experience, your questions, and your concerns are not important for the church to deal with. And those people are lying to you. If you think I'm exaggerating, one of our members here used to do a lot of work with domestic violence prevention trainings. And when she would go to clergy to talk about doing workshops in their churches, they would often say, you know, this really isn't church stuff. Church stuff is baptism, Eucharist prayer, not domestic violence prevention training programs. That's just about people's experience. The irony, of course, is that people who say that personal experience isn't a worthwhile source for theological reflection, in fact, do it all the time, except they're just reflecting on the experiences of people who've been dead for a few hundred years. When people tell you that your experience doesn't matter, what they're really saying is, don't talk about your experience, let's stick to St. Paul and his experience. If the way we do theology in church doesn't take people's experiences seriously, if it doesn't change the way people live, then it's not theology, and it's not church, it's just word games. Chances are you will never have an overwhelming road to Damascus experience like this, where you ask God, what church should I join? And the heavens will part, and God will say, the ELCA founded in 1989, the one true church, You will not have a moment of immense spiritual insight, but you will have your life, 
your messy, complicated, mixed-up life. And that's where Jesus meets you. So take your experiences seriously. Know your history, know your theology, know how to read scripture, but know yourself too. Number two, take risks. In our cultural imagination, St. Paul has this great story. We know Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles. He was the guy who started this wildly successful mission among the Gentiles who nobody else wanted to go to. That story is half true and half false. Remember where Paul would go when he got to a new city. The first place he would go is the synagogue. And after a while, the people in the synagogue would say, well, this Paul person is very annoying, so they would kick him out. And he would go on the streets and preach to whoever was there who happened to be Gentiles. So the thing that Paul is famous for is what he did when things didn't go the way he thought they would. Meaningful success is only possible when you risk significant failure. We seem to have forgotten that. Around the end of the fourth century, the church went from being a fringe group to being the official religion of the Roman Empire. And the truth is, we've never really recovered from that. Ironically, you couldn't eliminate the church by persecuting it, but you could destroy it by giving it power and influence. Because once we got power and influence, our attitude went from, what do we have to lose? To, we have so much to lose. We are faithful and well-intentioned and devout, but we are so afraid of taking risks. Every year at Synod Assembly, they read a list of churches that have closed over the past year. The more diplomatic language is they've completed their ministry. They get sent to a farm in the upstate New York Synod. But the truth is, churches don't die when they vote to close. They die when they stop taking risks. Because when you stop taking risks, what you're really saying is, we don't have any faith in the future, so we're just going to hold on to what we have right now. If we make it to the end of the year and review everything we did, and we can't identify anything that we tried that didn't work, that means we failed. So take risks. What our world needs is not another church that can run programs more efficiently. What it needs is a church that takes on complicated problems and takes bold stances, even if it means failing spectacularly. There's nothing wrong with failing publicly. That's what death and resurrection are all about. So believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Believe in something bigger than focus groups. And number three, keep it about Jesus. This road to Damascus story is often called the conversion of Paul. There's a day on the church calendar dedicated to Paul, and it's not just called plain old Paul, it's called conversion of Paul. But we've recently become aware that the language of conversion doesn't quite capture what's happening in the story. When we talk about conversion, we think about changing religions. I'm switching from religion A to religion B. For Paul, there's no other religion for him to convert to. Christianity doesn't exist. It hasn't been invented yet. At this point, the followers of Jesus were simply called followers of the way. So at its heart, this is not a story about Paul switching teams. It's a story about Paul encountering the grace of God in Jesus in a radically unexpected way that transforms his life and the lives of everyone he touches. So keep Jesus at the center of what you do. 
The thing we tend to put in the center instead of Jesus, ironically enough, is church. Keeping Jesus at the center means not confusing the institution for the gospel, not confusing the church with the good news. The role of the church, our responsibility, is not to get get more people involved with church. It's to get people involved with what God is doing in Jesus. Forgiveness and reconciliation, justice and mercy, relationship and reciprocity. That's the point. You can always tell when someone has the church at the center instead of Jesus. Because instead of telling you about how the grace of God has transformed their lives, they'll come up with a million other reasons why church matters. Here are some real reasons I've heard over the past year for why people should get involved with church. Number one, to enjoy nice music. Number two, because we're friendly. Number three, to meet morally upstanding people. Number four, this one is my personal favorite because we have a young pastor. What could go wrong? (laughs) Number five, going to church is just what you do. Now, some of those are right. We do have good music. Some of those are wrong. The people in the church are not morally better than the people outside the church. But what do you notice about all of those answers? They're all about us. They're about our music, our members, our clergy, our community. Don't fall into that trap. Keep it about Jesus. You want to know why church matters? Church matters because it reminds us that we hold the faith for other people, that we're not supposed to have all the answers. If you think you have all the answers to your faith, you need to start asking smarter questions because we need one another. We don't just sit back and say, well, who are we to judge? We say, I affirm you and I celebrate you and I need you because you have something to teach me about God. And we can't be the church God is calling us to be unless you can be the person God created you to be. It's never just about you and God, it's about all of us together. So we are a church to remind us that we don't do any of this by ourselves. Church matters because we're constantly told that if a problem is out of sight, you don't have to worry about it. If it's not in your zip code, if it's not directly because of your actions, if it doesn't affect your family, then it's not your responsibility. So we are a church to remind us that our moral culpability and ethical capability stretches beyond the cable news cycle. And church matters because it seems like everywhere else we go, we're told that we're not enough. We're not talented enough, we're not smart enough, we're not gifted enough. We constantly have to justify our existence in the world. So we're church to remind us and to remind one another that God says we are enough. You're more than what you produce. You're more than how hard you work. You're more than the life that you curate to look perfect. So, Paige, Elizabeth, and Andrew. The world needs the church, but do you know what the church needs? It needs you. It needs your creativity, it needs your intellect, and it needs your witness. So value your experience, take risks, and keep it about Jesus. And it'll make every day feel a little bit more like Pentecost. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.